With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Federated just wants to say thanks to all local businesses in and around the state of Minnesota. You are our community partners, our neighbors, our families, and our friends. And when you need Federated, Federated is here to help. Visit federatedinsurance.com or call your local marketing representative to access trusted resources you may need during this pandemic. At Federated, it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Always fun, crazy. It's painful, but it's wonderful. What is the name? It's Roycey Unchained. And it is Roycey Unchained. Zolgad and Roycey here. And uh, Patrick, we uh, come today to spend Unchained remembering 100 years. Sid Hartman. Uh, I only have 57 of those. I uh, first met him in 63 as a copy boy in August uh, 1963 at the uh, at the Star Tribune. He was the sports editor. He was writing five or six columns a week. They're very notes heavy back then, you know, and uh, and more, uh, you know, he didn't have the long interview yeah. the segments he has now. And heck, I don't even think he had a tape recorder then. Could it be? 63? Probably Maybe not. not. No, he, I remember. Maybe not no, 63. Because no, he used to walk into the office with this, like, old program or something and a and a briefcase that was overflowing with crap that wasn't open. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was open and with his notes and, you know, on pieces of Kleenex. And, so you, know. you, you didn't have to transcribe no, like no, I did. No transcribing. No transcribing. <laughs> You're lucky man. And, uh, yeah, I don't know when the transcribing started, but... Uh, he became extremely dependent on it after a while uh, that, uh, you know, and that and that became sort of his deal that he would have by interviews transcribed and his Sunday radio show stuff. But uh, that's not the Sid that uh, we grew up with. At least I didn't. The Sid I grew up with was, uh, you know, you had 40 inches a day of of notes that were relevant for the for the most part and not uh, uh you know, later on, it became more difficult and uh, to, to accumulate that kind of information. And uh, there were people that, uh, you know, there were people competing more uh, vigorously with him later on and, and years later. And he, we relied much more on long interviews and stuff like that later on. The great Sid, the, the Sid at his greatest was uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s. When, uh, you know, he was breaking stories like Arab Parsegian is leaving Notre Dame and stuff like that. And everybody in the country was calling him crazy. And 24 hours later, he was correct because his source was the guy who was going to replace Arab Parsegian. So he wasn't terribly concerned when everybody, you know, a lot of people say, well, was I right about this? Right. He didn't yeah. have to. He didn't have to be right about this because Dan Devine who was <laughs> leaving the Packers. He knew Dan Devine from Proctor High School. Mm-hmm. You know, and so Dan Devine was uh, leaving to replace Era, so he wasn't too worried about people saying you're crazy. But the Chicago Tribune, you know, in the, the Chicago newspapers, and when Sid broke that story in '74, was it? Uh, when Sid broke that story in '74, they covered Notre Dame like it was a home team. Sure, I mean they had beat writers, and they went to game. They had sent columnists to all their games, and you know. They had a lot of Catholics in Chicago, and back then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I grew up in a good Irish Catholic family, and uh, the 11th commandment was cheer, cheer for old Notre Dame, you know. I mean, if you didn't cheer for Notre Dame, there was something, you had to go to confession. Right. And uh, so, 
that was a huge, huge story. And uh, he knew all those Notre Dame guys and Iowa guys. Is that the greatest scoop? Yes, I think so, because it was national. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, certainly Bud handed him the... Bud handed him leaving the first time. That came out of nowhere. We didn't know that was going on either. Uh, but, uh, you know, Bud handed him that one. Locally, that was huge. I, I, I mean, there's dozens of them. I've, I've told this story before, obviously. But uh, the all-timer was I was in the, I was the slot man, which if people don't know what newspapers are, back uh, then that was the guy in the middle of the sports desk every night who was laying out the page and telling, you know, people how much. I mean, you had a lot of power then. You didn't have a makeup editor. You were you were the co- you moved the copy. Yep. And you made the decisions on what the page was going to look like. And uh, Ralphie Reeve was our Viking beat writer, and. He found out from Bernie Ritter, one of the owners mm-hmm. who owned the St. Paul paper and was right upstairs, that Finks was leaving. Jim Finks was leaving because he and Max were in a battle. Finks wanted 5% to stay uh, and a chance to buy 5% to stay. Max sure. wouldn't do it. Max was kind of, I think Max wanted, Max Winter wanted a little credit for the success the Vikings were having and was getting none as he should not have <laughs> with, with Finks made it, made all the trades and Bud, you know, did the coaching and, uh, uh, but we had the scoop, you know, that we were the next day we were going to so say that the St. Paul, the paper, Saint Paul okay. paper was going to be Finks leaves Vikings, mm-hmm. Finks to leave Vikings. And Ralphie was in the office, right? And cause it was off February, maybe, I don't know. And, uh, and, and he said, uh, uh, I said, you got that done yet? And he said, uh, well, I got to call Finks. I said, no, (laughs) don't call Finks. He'll call Sid and Ralphie and Finks were tight. And he said, they won't, he won't do that to me. And I said, yes, he will. Yes, he will. He will call Sid because he doesn't want to face the wrath of Sid for the next 40 years of his life. Yeah. Uh, and Ralphie called Finks and Sid had it the next morning, just like we did. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's the incredible thing about Sid with his fastball. Oh, yeah. Back in the day, he would do whatever it oh, took God, to get oh, the story. Like, like, I don't think people, because pe- people now think of guys like Schefter, right? These national yeah, guys yeah. Who, who also work for leagues that pay leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a different animal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, but the wrath you faced if somebody else had something that he didn't have. I mean, I saw it in person when the Timberwolves first started. And, you know, until early 80s, and the Star Tribune, Lowell Schrader at the, at the Pioneer Press created Charlie Walters to compete with him mm-hmm. for notes. He didn't, he had a free run, basically. TV would do. They didn't do any reporting, you know, they did three, four minute newscast at night and they, you know, went out and held up the, but they weren't fighting for, you know, they might run into something once in a while, right? but they weren't fighting for the news. Right. Right. And there was no, nobody else fighting for the only competitor was, well, you know, the pioneer press. And we basically just took our beating, you know, we, we just knew it. And then when we did have something, we trusted that source not to tell Sid, which was a big mistake, because he would beat them bloody if they failed to give it to him. And I heard what well, Charlie had some, it's got to be 91. Uh, so, he's, so Sid is 71-ish at this point. Yeah, yeah, 30 years ago. Sid, yeah. yeah, 30 years ago. And you know where I sat on the corner there at the Star Tribune? I, my desk was down there, and, and Sid, and then a, a, a copy what do we call the copy boy, copy, copy news yeah. assistant, whatever the yeah. hell we called them. Then I was a copy boy when, but uh, sat in the next desk and, and uh, they would take the phone call after the, after the secretary, Terry Ferris would leave for the day. They'd, they'd take the phone calls there. And uh, Charlie Walters had a note on the Timberwolves quoting Bob Stein, something, I don't know, not like, we're going to fire a muscle button or anything. I mean, it was not huge, but 
Charles, Sid got him on the phone right next to us and basically made every threat known to man <laughs> that if he ever read anything like that, if, if Charlie ever had anything like that again, it was over and he was going to put him out of business. And I mean, he was, he was hard. He was, it was all, you know, it was uh, me, my way or the highway with Sydney. Yeah. But that and, was 91 to your yeah, point, Patrick. And yeah. He was 70 plus years old. Yes. Yeah. That's the incredible thing. Oh, yeah. Well, he was. He was he was a genetic freak. There's no doubt yes. about it. And uh, well, he broke his hip at 96 six, and yeah. kept going. And I was told last night that basically, well, Chad told me this, and I don't think he'd feel bad about it. But basically, Sheldon Burns and Pat Smith who did the surgery, and Sheldon, who was his internist, who you know loved Sid and did all did his all to keep him going told him, you know, Chad, guys at this age are lucky to last three or four months, you know, when they break their hip and you got to, you got to prepare for this. And two weeks later, he was at PJ Flex <laughs> press conference, strong arming PJ, guilty the hell, it was there guilty the hell out of sitting up front, by the way, yeah, and guilty the hell out of PJ to promise him that he would always appear on his Sunday show, just oh. like the other coaches had done. I mean... <laughs> There's his drive was for news in the newspaper. His second drive was for radio guests on Sundays on the show, and he would oh, yeah. he would just beat beat these guys into submission. Man. The sports hero. Oh yeah, that was. Hey, he would one. beat up. He beat up Pete Rose to get him on. Oh yeah, yeah. He would. Uh, he would get a, if he got a phone number. Well, Charlie Walters had has admitted this. Charlie was a copy boy. That was long after I was gone, but Charlie was a copy boy. And Sid had, and Charlie envisioned himself as a, you know, becoming a sports writer and maybe becoming a Sid like, I don't know what he envisioned himself as, as, as that post baseball. This was post baseball career. But Sid left his phone, that leather, that little oh, yeah. leather bound thing that had numbers from, 30 years in it, stuffed in that. Char Charlie grabbed that book one night and wrote down phone numbers. And did he really? ended, oh, yeah, he did. He wrote down probably 300 phone numbers. Oh. And, and this was, uh, you know, obviously before, way before cell phones. But if you got somebody's home number and he didn't change towns, yeah, you were good. You know, not yeah. like cell phones. If you get a cell phone number now, it's it's golden, you know, but they're harder, harder to get. But yeah, he was, you know, he, because that book was like valuable. Yes. That was a valuable book. There was a lot of I remember numbers in there. He, he had one when I started at the paper and it was, that, that's the, the thing though is, is, you know. Pre, what was your first year? Uh, 89. 89. Okay. I, I started at 19 in August mm -hmm. of that year. And but, that was as a news as copy aide. That was as a copy aide who took yeah. scores and transcribed tapes. Okay. Oh, by and then was, we were transcribing And there tapes. was nothing worse than when he got back from spring training, which he still went to at the time, yes. with 10 cassette tapes, double side. And, and, and two-thirds of the time, the the player wasn't identified. Correct. Right? You, had to, <laughs> you, had, to you had to figure it out. If you had Tony, you knew, okay, that's Tony. Yes. Because he's... Uh, but if it was some... He's still talking Cuban. Reliever, <laughs> you had no idea. Yeah. And then he would get mad that you didn't know who yes, it was, but yes. he hadn't told you. Yeah. And, and that became a problem forever. But uh, it was... Uh, yeah, it was... Uh, it was an amazing uh, way to do business, I'll tell you. He, intimidation was one of his uh, strengths, that's mm -hmm. for sure. And pleading, I tell Chad said last night, I'd like to have five bucks for every time. A, um, can you do me a favor? You know, <laughs> every time he said, "Can you do me a favor?" That would that should be on yes. his headstone. Can you do me a favor? That meant you better tell me what I want you, what what I want you to tell me right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was uh, he was probably. He, I, I wrote a column today that. You know, the worst thing you can say about Sid is rest in peace. He never did that in his entire life for two seconds. No. I mean, he was always on. And the other thing about him, Judd, and you know this, great observational powers. Yes. Which, which by the way, was so impressive because you never sensed that he saw anything no. until you realized he saw everything. He saw everything. And even though his hearing was lousy for 
20 years, maybe, right? Yeah. Kept getting oh, yeah. worse and worse and worse. Yep. And they, you know, Starkey and everybody, they did everything they could for him. But, you know, I think one of his problems was his hearing aids. He wouldn't turn on the machine he had and stuff. But anyway, mm-hmm. but his eyes never failed him. Mm-hmm. His eye, I mean, you'd wear glasses like to, to write or look at small stuff. But as far as being in a press box and observing what was going on, I think I think he had the peripheral vision of an athlete. Because yeah. he always saw stuff, and if okay, what are the if he saw three reporters huddled down in a corner? Okay, what are they talking about? Yes. I got to find out what they're talking about. They might have some. And then he would come in and bust it up, though. <clears throat> yes, yeah. So there was, was no subtlety to what no, he saw. No, no, no. He wanted to make sure that they weren't exchanging information that he wasn't in on. Yes. Right? So uh, yeah, he was. Uh, I, I the most hard nosed as as. Chad said when I talked to him last night, most competitive person. I mean, this is a guy who covered sports a lot of time. Most competitive person he's ever dealt with because he competed with the Pioneer Press. He competed with the Star Tribune. He competed with his own. He competed with his own people. Oh, God, No question. Yeah, yeah. I went uh, through that, yeah. And he competed with Chad. (laughs) You know, if Chad had a guest. He'd try to beat Chad out for guests, you know. So uh, it was uh, it was an amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd like to have uh, a real psychologist. He my, he's my top one, and you're my second, though, as far as the newsroom being in your blood, and it's contagious. Yeah, that's like true. I st- I started there and saw guys like mostly Sid and you. And and you think that you enjoy a craft, and then you get around the actual craft itself and realize that you love it. I think we did for different reasons, though. You know, mine was, this is fun. Yeah. See, it wasn't fun for Sid. I mean, it was war. It was two dogs fighting for a bone, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he had the other problem of having to defend every team in town. Oh, this is yes. And where is that? <laughs> this is a whole nother thing. Yes. And where that came from, I don't know. I talked to Tim McGuire when I wrote the piece on his hundredth birthday, which was much more of a of a bouquet to said than today. But uh, and McGuire said he's a twelve year old. He's a ten year old kid from North Minneapolis with no money, selling newspapers, hanging out at with Kincaid Blumenthal and, and, you know, all the rest of the Jewish mafia that ran town and uh, selling them papers because they could sell them papers and get tips from them and stuff like that. And he's accepted into that. And he said, McGuire thinks it's, he never got over the need for acceptance. You know, that, yes. that, that, so he wants, makes perfect sense. He wants to be, uh, you know, he wants the Gophers to like him and the Vikings to like him and the Twins. He didn't worry as much about the Twins for some reason. He ended up across swords with Calvin and never really got, although once Polad took over, he and wanted tra- the Twins to love him. Transcribing the tapes for the book that you did on Sid, mm-hmm. I noticed that the Gophers and Vikings were very different from the Twins. Yes, yes. And uh, the Timberwolves, he seized, the Timberwolves, he seized, because Marvin Harv were buddies of his, but also later on when the Wild went to say, you know, that was offensive to Sid yes. that they build an arena in St. Paul. He didn't want St. Paul to have anything. And the reason is going back to the 50s when they were over here working with the Cowles family and uh, the Star Tribune, uh, the Star and Tribune then, and and Charlie Johnson and him were working to get a major league team. Their biggest enemies were St. Paul. Mm-hmm. The guys in St. Paul had their own task force, built their own stadium, and threw up roadblock. They were trying to prevent the the. They wanted to get the team instead of Minneapolis. And those, you know, that's why the two fat guys are shaking hands over the water. People don't realize that. Right. They think it's just. You know, it was a blood feud to see who could get the team. And Sid never forgave them for trying to screw up 
those efforts to get a major league baseball team. So when St. Paul ended up getting the getting the hockey arena, that bothered him, you know. And of course, for what three, four years, he said they'll come back and play. That was in the Target great line. Center. They'll no. be back at Target Center in five years. <laughs> yeah, they'll be back. They're never going to make it. <laughs> They're never going to make it. Nobody from a you got to have Edina and you know and, the incredible and, thing. Then then you'd go to a, then I'd be driving home from here when there was a hockey game and cars would be backed up to <laughs> oh Edina. Uh, yeah, yeah, they'd be backed up to. Uh, you know the incredible Highway thing, four ninety four. Pat, know? the incredible thing about Sid though is he would fight you tooth and nail on any one thing. Tice is not going to be fired. Yes, but then as soon as Tice was, he'd be like, "Oh, he got fired." Yeah, like there would never be this. You know, I was a real jerk about this. I said there, there was always this. He was obstinate until he wasn't, and then I was like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm about the next most thing. obstinate I ever saw him was the morning that Chris Mortensen said that Denny." Is going to be fired, right? Yeah. Or when did he say? Did he say it that morning? Yeah, I think it was that morning. Morning, yes. And Sid was hanging out, and and there was that was his famous no scoops. There were no scoops because when Chris Mortensen reported it at nine a.m., it had the decision had not he can he didn't convince it. He was smarter than this, but he his public view was. Uh, the decision had not yet been made, you know, mm-hmm. so there were no. So Mortensen was reporting something mm-hmm. that it was not certain to happen. Well, <laughs> you know, yes, yes, it was, you know. But the no uh, scoops line no scoops. is one of the great lines. Yeah, of yeah. No scoops. He was, he was, that morning, he was semi-deranged, you know, out there at Winter Park about 11 in the morning when we were waiting for the official news that, that he'd gotten fired and he was just, he was just, he could not, you know, that was a bad crossroads for Sid because that's when the national guys started getting all the news, you know, that was the first. I think that was the first one that affected the market here. Yeah. The most certainly there'd been other, that's when, you know, 20 years ago it was, uh, you know, as I say, Sid was a really observant guy and he might've been sharp enough to know, this is the world passing before us that agents and, you know, the, the, the guys, you know, that all of a sudden what we were doing at the newspapers wasn't that important anymore. It's what ESPN was doing and right. stuff like that, that, uh, that was, uh, that was a crossroads for sure. So, uh, but yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm getting a lot of messages of condolences on the loss of my friend and stuff. And it's interesting because, I certainly, in the long run, for all the problems that we had with each other, I admired the hell out of him, right? Sure. And I, I, I have the advantage of loving characters, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I can never turn on Calvin. You know, even though he was, a, you know, got drunk and said bad you things. You were best friends with Dark. Dark. Oh, Dark's my... One of the great characters Dark, of all Dark's time. Dark's my brother from another mother. You know, I, we were as close as could be. But, you know, I also know that 75% of what he told me was BS. So that's that's fine. But, but Sid is... I'm... You know, it's not like I'm walking around moping that... that, that this occurred, but I am, I, I will miss the fact that we had one of the, maybe the most unique human being I ever met in my life. You know, mm-hmm. maybe, I mean, we had him in our presence still trying to get a column in the Sunday paper, like on Thursday with Jeff Day, 48 hours before he died, yeah. right? Yes. He had to be in the Sunday paper. Yes, it's the most fitting thing of yeah. all time yeah. for Sid. He had to be in the paper, even if it was, you know, somebody transcribed him an interview with Thielen, and and yeah. uh, and it was he had to be in there. And I, as I, I wrote my column today. The reason he was great was that he, for a lot of years, he wanted it more than the rest of us. You know, mm-hmm. I mean that we we you know, you know, in the seventies. I wanted a gin and tonic worse than I wanted a story. Okay. It's 11 o'clock at night. Uh, hey, the bars are closing. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
but he needed it. He needed it more until the end. He needed it more than the rest of us. I mean, needed it emotionally. Yes. And uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, we got guys that say, you know, hey, I'm off this week. I'm off today. He was never off. He was never off. If he, he had a condo in Fort Lauderdale. Were you ever down there? I was never, no. And it was on on the ocean, on a big body of water, mm-hmm. the Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was probably the 15th floor of a top building, penthouse, right? I visited twice. One time when the Gophers, he was down there, he came down and made himself stay down there for like three days when the Gophers played in the... Micron PC Bowl or whatever it was yep. in, in before a screaming crowd of about 8,000 at uh, the Orange Bowl or not, not the Orange Bowl, of whatever the hell, uh, Joe Robbie Stadium then. Right. And I went up there. It's a gorgeous bluebird day, right? December day. I mean, the wind was blowing a little, but it's blue as could be. I walk in there. It's like you could be going into a prison in Saudi Arabia. Uh-huh. It's completely dark. The curtains are closed. These big, thick curtains are closed. I said, said, there's an ocean out there. Open the curtains. Let me see the ocean. <laughs> and at, at the end, he ended up the last 20 years, he didn't go down there hardly at all. You know, I, I think he finally sold it. But, if, if he but was... he could, he, 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 that need got greater as he went on because he couldn't take the two weeks off to go down and... If he was off and there was a scoop to be had and he didn't get a call from the office, oh, he God. would get mad that you didn't call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he, he got to the point where it wasn't because of age or anything. He just, he just, uh, I, 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 he was too worried about what was happening back here that somebody else might might be getting a story. There were other guys fighting for stories then. And he, he just, you know, he had this wonderful condo in Fort, Fort thing Lauderdale. Was, was true till when? Uh, was it 10 years ago or so that it slowed down a little bit? Because no, it, it lasted longer than 15. Yeah. Well, he'd have his, he would have some, you know, he'd right. have some, but, but, but I mean, he was still very worried about scoops. And, and in fact, in fact, didn't want the people at the Star Tribune to get sports scoops before he did until about oh, yeah. 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But the, I mean, there was one time, his, his, you know, his, his scoop nation in the Twin Cities here went way beyond sports. Business people, he always had the faculty rep from the U in his pocket. You know, Bob Stein was the other Bob Stein, not the, was his guy for a long time. And he, he always, you know, uh, Got those guys on his side too. Those those guys, the faculty rep. I think the faculty rep was a bigger thing in the Big Ten back then. They, they you know, they make decisions and they'd go to meetings and they'd have information for you. And uh, he he always had those guys in his pocket. And uh, I think it got harder and harder to, you know, it was a the University of Minnesota, which was his original beat, was such a smaller domain of bureaucracy then than it sure. is now if you had the, he'd have the president in his pocket he'd have the faculty rep in his pocket he'd have every coach in his pocket there was only seven eight coaches you know i think the whole uh he had a little trouble adjusting to title nine we all did but uh he he, di- he didn't vary much from his but I do remember him, like, if it became the hot thing to do, I do remember him showing up in 04 to see those two games at Williams Arena when the Gophers women filled the, filled the you know, he would yeah he would try to jump on the bandwagon oh, yeah. but if, if it was the hot story in town. But uh, it, it's an amazing psychological study. I, I don't I would think I'm rambling here, but I just want you people to know that, uh, that uh, you know, the old – the old cliche, uh, there'll never be another one. There, this, this is true in this case. There's, there's, there, there's going to be, there's going to be one of all the rest of us, but there's never going to be another a hundred year old man who's got to get who is near death, mm-hmm. who's got to get a column, no matter how 
uninformed, the the hero of Sid's life the last uh, uh, three years though, or and longer have been the, the you know the two gals, the nurses, uh, Larissa and uh, what the heck's the other girl's name, the two nurses, the sisters who have you know basically taken care of him for and took since, him to every game before the pandemic. He broke, for, since he broke his hip, yeah, well the. The teams would have a seat yes. for Sid and then Sid's attendant. And these gals were great. Uh, and, you know, Chad talks about them with, you know, just absolute admiration and what they meant to him. But also Jeff Day from the paper mm-hmm. kind of adopted, Sid adopted him because he always had a guy. You were his guy for how long? Probably three years. Yeah. And you, that meant you read the you read the column. Yep, if I was working. I and, uh, and, uh, now even then when you became his guy though, you still didn't have to type, you didn't have to type up the tapes then, did you? You were, beyond no, that. I was beyond that. You were yeah. on the desk, but yes, but he had the person. I would get the column and read it. And the, he, it. he'd like to have a specific tape transcriber, but he would take whoever he could yes. get among the And then beat people. you up until it was done. Yes. <laughs> and. And, but he always had to have the guy. And I was talking to John Rowe last yesterday. And this is John. When I first came there, his guy was John Weebush, who ended up having a great job with the NFL, NFL publication. He, he called me at one point, John Weebush Jr. Yeah. And Rowe said, That's a big compliment, John. <laughs> yes, yes. But John Weebush was a, when I came, was in title a copy boy, but he was sitting on the desk. Okay. Because they put him on the desk because he was so sharp and because Sid called him out of the herd and made him the guy that read his copy. Mm-hmm. Okay. That read his copy because he knew all the names and knew everything. And and when John went to the LA Times, he got, you know, he then became a desk person and actually they gave him a beat too here. He started, I can't remember who he was covering. Was it Gophers? I don't think so, but I can't remember, but he was started. I mean, he was great, but Sid was in an utter panic because when he was leaving for the LA times, because not because, I mean, he loved John, but not because of that, but because who was going to be his guy, yes. right? Who was going to make sure that there weren't screw-ups in there, right? Yes. And and John Rowe told me, he when John was there maybe six months or something and sit and giving him the time of day, really, uh, Weebush took him over one day and said, sit, John will be your guy. John will make sure. John will take care of you. And then, you know, even if you have to call him at home, you know, Sid, John will take care of you. And then, then Sid was, a, then Sid gave Weebush his blessing because he found him another guy to, and he always had that guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, uh, Chad told me last night, he said, the last eight years, the lowest moments of his life or when Jeff Day took a day of vacation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because, oh, he, yeah. Did, because he didn't I, have that guy. I buy he, that. He didn't have that guy he could trust. Well, you know? and also, m- most of this was pre-Google, okay? So you had to, if you were in charge oh, of God, Sid's yes. column, you had to go get all the encyclopedias and media guides yeah, and... You know, college, you know, Division Three college guys, <laughs> and look those names up because that was the one thing. Yeah. The names were never going to be right. No, the, no. the, the, <laughs> the greatest I think of all time is still Orville Burville, Burville. Daryl Bevel, Darryl the Vikings Bevel offensive Burville. coordinator. Uh, and we had a list. I, we kept the I list. I do not know what happened, but I remember when we're leaving the so uh, find we, that list. We're leaving the old building. Yep. I can't remember. When do we? Six years now, I think. So. 2015. Yeah. I think was last year. I can't remember who I said it to, but I said, make sure the list 
gets to the new computer, and I don't think it did. Kenny Chow might have the list. I thought I printed the list out before I left in 2011, yeah, but, but I can't find it. it? But you, I can't find it. I got to go you, through my uh, stuff. Yes. Every season, the Olsons would gather on their dock. With all the weeds and muck, no one would go into the water, except for neighbor Larry, who would stand in there to cool off amongst the thick weeds. Hey, neighbors. Larry. But this season, the Olsons dropped a few aquaside pellets into their lakefront. After just one application, the water was crystal clear. And turns out, neighbor Larry is a free spirit and a fan of skinny dipping. Hey, neighbors. Oh, my. Who nude? New. Clear your lake or pond completely. Visit Aquaside.com. State permit may be required. The list of Sid's greatest gaffes were uh, and greatest misspellings. What was Ramil Robinson? He had oh, him as like Rommel oatmeal or something. It was just, <laughs> it was just great. But it was Rommel. The, the, uh, the, uh, we used to call him the, the basketball fox, Rommel. <laughs> it was Rommel or something like that. Oh, oh God. He was, uh, the pranks were, of course. Now, I, I'm not sure about Jeff Day, but the one thing, so the one question I always got during the time that I read Sid is, does Sid write his column? And I said, yes, he very much he does. Did, yes. I, he I go move. through and clean it up. But the most important thing at that time, and this was probably true until the last, five years or so. The most important thing that you could do at that time was to keep it in Sid's voice. So yes. Sid always wrote, you, yeah. you. if you read Sid's column out loud, it had to sound like Sid. Yeah. So if you really w- went in and cleaned it up totally, yeah. you were doing Sid and the community a disservice. There was one about a month ago that, that, that had coherent sentences and stuff, and I said, oh, Jeff got a little over... He got a little overcooked with this one because he, <laughs> right. he made he made it. But but until the pandemic, uh, when he still came in the office, uh, he would the last couple of years that I saw him in there. You know, I wasn't you know as a part timer. I'm not in there that I wasn't in there that much. He would sit next to him. He'd come out and sit next to Jeff's de- desk. Mm-hmm. But he, he for years, you know, would get the would get the uh, these long, huge transcripts, they'd be like 12,000 inches of copy in there. And he, he could move the copy and put it where he wanted to and do stuff like that till I suppose seven, eight years ago. And then I think Jeff became more reliant on Jeff for moving the copy, but the ideas were always hid in yes. the tapes. And, uh, even down to the end, it was, uh, you know, the, it was, it wasn't Jeff Day saying I'm Adam Thielen, you know, it was Sid. It was Sid's idea to what he wanted as a lead and everything. He was he was still well, I think they had an amazing figure in today's uh in today's uh, obit that I mean somebody did a great job editing that obit that I wrote like twelve years ago. I read it back then. In yeah. a, in Atex, which has been yeah. gone forever yeah, now yeah, from the start. Yeah. I, mean, I remember and reading that the obit. The gist of it is still in there, yeah. but they did a nice job of doing that. But it, he wrote hundred and nineteen columns this year. Yeah, it's remarkable. It is. I, I mean think it's fifty hundred. Yeah. Hey, I think he took I think Day was taking a two week vacation, so Sid had to take during the pandemic, so Sid had to. So during it, but that's I can't remember. He he just did not the constant fight, and Glenn Crevier can tell you the last few years was for him not to write. Mm-hmm. The the battle was I got to write a column on that Viking game. Mm-hmm. No, no, you don't, Sid. We got nine guys over there covering. But guess, I don't have to write a column. But guess who on won? Viking. Oh yeah, yeah. There was know. always a column on that Viking game. Yeah, well, this year he's, he's, he's in fact he started they started putting short ones. Yeah, to to have been his editor, uh, Chris Carr now, Crevier, uh, Arnie for Robbins, a long time Arnie Robbins back then was a was a I mean what a bloodbath that was always. Arnie was the only guy that I think I saw control him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Arnie was He not, had a little bit of control. Yeah. Everyone well, besides Glenn, that. Glenn would battle him, man. Glenn would battle him, but, you know. But I think he actually listened to Arnie, and that might have been the one guy he listened to. Besides that, but his But even Arnie, ideas. when he got over the top, would make McGuire call him in and let him have it. This was when he was, you know, <laughs> the when the promotion of teams or stadiums or, you know, but a lot of McGuire stuff was aimed at what he said on the radio. Yes. I talked to McGuire. I called McGuire yesterday to make sure that he knew 
and he already knew, but he'd been crying, you know. Yep. He loved him. Oh, yeah. Even though he hated him at times, yeah. he drove him nuts, Tim McGuire. But, uh, the two biggest things, I think, that Sid fought eventually were, were one, the the national media oh, yeah. getting scoops. But the first one that I saw was actually what you just said, which is the slow but sure um, conflict of interest, which he referred to forever because he had been so used to being, why can't I promote anything? the golfers? Yeah, why can't why, I sell why tickets? Why can't I call up Trevor Laws at Apple Valley and tell him if he Blake goes Wheeler to Notre Dame? that he threatened him. <laughs> he's he a hockey player. <laughs> yeah, the man right. hated hockey. Yes. He threatened Blake Wheeler. He called Blake Wheeler's mom, I guess, he tweeted, and basically he said, your kid better go to the golfers. Yeah, Trevor Laws, the Apple Valley kid who oh. went to Notre Dame, the giant legendary wrestler, <laughs> defensive tackle, played the... Trevor Laws, Trevor Laws, and you know, calls him up and says, "You go to Notre Dame, Notre Dame. He got a chance to go to Notre. You yeah. go to Notre Dame. Never work here. You know, never work here. But never work here. Lines, my. I love that line. Quentin Carroll, probably. I mean, Jay Carroll. He goes back with Jay Carroll. I, I can't. I haven't talked to Jay to find out how many threats the family received when Quentin decided to go. But to you're Notre right. Dame. That that was a radio thing to a large degree by the end, where he couldn't understand why he couldn't promote the teams or basically threaten athletes to stay here. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was, uh, you know. Laronitis, James Laronitis, whose dad just died, and and I got to know uh, Joe, you know, because through through Jim, not because I through James, not because I went to sure. went to animal and hawk wrestling matches, but I mean, he's he was one of the few guys who basically I told Sid to stop calling. I think you know, just, but uh, but you yeah. know, Sid was for years. He would always say conflict of interest. Everything's a conflict because he just couldn't understand yeah. why the hell we we were this. You know, we were supposed yeah. to be to back mm-hmm. off. Um, I was trying to remember the the first rival, the first writer that he had who he couldn't control in any way, and I think it was Charlie McKenna covering the Vikings. That was before your time. Mm-hmm. He hated him. Charlie had come in, and he was a kind of a hipster and a and a new age journalist. And Bud, things were you know the things were in decline, and for the Vikings, you know the the dynasty was over. And after uh, was it seventy seven? They they won the Mud Bowl, right? Yeah, seventy seven. They won the seventy seven, and then that was kind of the end. That was kind of the end. Then they won the next. They got beat the next week, and and Fran was going downhill, and they were going downhill. And Charlie came in, must have been early eighties, because Bud, you know, maybe eighty, and he started asking Bud questions that Bud was not used to having to answer after poor performances and writing stories about. Ineptitude. Oh man, Sid hated that guy. He was he liked the St. Paul guys better than he liked Charlie. He was he hated that guy. You know, and Such. I mean, basically, God loved Such. Yeah, he and Such were tight as could be, and he turned on Such because of the Metrodome and basically got his column taken away from him. And that's how come Sid. Wow. That's how come Such came over and became a cityside columnist in St. Paul. The entrance. The entrance to the building of Sid, oh, especially the, the drive-by shooting. Talk man. about talk about that because it started. <laughs> well, you saw it, yeah. well my, my favorite part was the fact that Sid would arrive. He would start coming back to sports, which was in the back of the third floor. Okay, and we got to we got to describe it, folks. You get off the elevator, you come in, and you take a right, right. hand turn. But you could hear him when yeah. I you you could always hear him way right. before you ever saw him. Oh God, yes. But we were the sports was what? How many yards? Forty. Yeah, probably. 50, yeah. Yeah, 40, 50. It was just an aisle of, it's just a, a made up aisle between desks and walls and stuff like that. Yep. And on his left, as he came in, would be a news side reporters, and there's a little. The city news, desk was right there. City desk, and then then cubicles for all the writers and, uh, and the reporters, and then he'd get. Then there'd be a gap, and then he'd get the sports, and he'd start running into the clerks, the Aga clerks, and then have insults for all of them. And but he'd never remembered a name. Excuse me. So they were all nicknames, you know, because he he'd make a word association yes. with with somebody, and then hey, Mister One Page, or uh, which was Graydon Royce, and 
And then he'd have an insult for all of them. And we called it Sid's drive-by shooting, you know. It was unbelievable. And I, I wrote this in the ode I did to him on his 100th birthday. The, the My favorite ever was Linda Gurley. Yes. Linda had a attendance problem. You know, she was a... He was, she was a very uh, vibrant young lady. Which, again, I never thought Sid realized until... No, I didn't realize until... But she, she had a serious attendance problem because she had complications in her life with kids and stuff. And one day he's breeze into his office and she's in the last desk next to mine, you know, right down, right before he takes the little right to go into his office. And he stops like, like one of those cartoon... Things where the guys, you know, where the somebody's chasing you and you want to make the quick turn. He, yeah, he pulls up and he said, Cal Ripken Jr., it's great you could make it today. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and who knew that he didn't know that she wasn't there? But he, he knew every little thing that was going on in that office because he wanted to know if it was affecting him. It was the most remarkable thing, though, that yeah. he knew that he knew a clerk or a copy <laughs> and he knew their attendance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was. Uh, he is the greatest nickname guy I think I've ever. Oh, God. Him. Yes. Yeah. Although the, he was sometimes it would get right down to the basics, like the guy out at Winter Park who collected the urine, urine samples. Oh, that guy. Okay. Yeah, urine samples. He became Mister P. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Tom was Mister S because yeah. he he always had a bunch of bleep. Oh, you know, like notes and stuff. Oh, really? He goes, he, he hey, Mister, give me that note. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and he would be he would beat you up for a statistic that no one else cared oh, about. Yeah. Yeah. He would get. Uh, it would get in his head and it, uh, it couldn't be removed. But, but the uh, arrival at that at the old building was, <laughs> was one of hilarious. my... What, 440-ish, right? Yeah. 430, 440. And it would set off grumbling from some, yeah. fear from some, and outright amusement from people oh, like yeah. me. Well, there were times when I was in there writing and I was done at 4. I'd hang around just to just to see him make, come in and see what new insults he might have. And I think Jay Ewalt had the distinction of having two nicknames. He's the only one I saw. He was George Hallis Jr. and Mr. Shirts. Yes. Because he wore bad old shirts. He wore, you know, like a collection of bad Hawaiian shirts that you wear all winter long. <laughs> yes. Mr. Shirts Mr. or yeah, George Hallis Jr. Or George Hallis Jr. If the Bears were in any way in the news, he was George Hallis Jr., but otherwise he was Mr. Shirts. <laughs> and, but the other great one I remember is Jim Foster. You know who was his guy for a while. Okay, he was not yeah. not not the desk guy, but the transcriber. Mm-hmm. You know the the guy he relayed on, and suddenly after five years, and Jim worked in business forever after he left us. I mean, after he changed departments, he called him Anderson. He like for five years he started calling Foster Anderson. You know, Anderson. So then one day, one day, he's, one day he's yelling at Anderson, you know. Yeah. And, and, and Foster says to him, it wasn't me. It was that Foster guy. <laughs> and Sid all of a sudden gets this look on his face like, oh, yeah, that's right. His name, you know, he doesn't yeah. admit that he, yeah. but he, it, he, this, this moment of recognition. Did he give up then? Did Sid give up? Well, then he away? started calling him Foster. Yeah, he did. Okay. But then, then he probably checked with somebody and said, hey, what's that guy's name that I've worked with for 10 years? What's his name? But he he says, no, it Good was that Foster. Foster guy. Oh, that's oh, hilarious. God. Yeah, he's, um, well, the, uh, sitting around and uh, this is the time that they'd like to still be a gin drinker, to sit around for about, Three hours in the court bar, which no longer exists. Dan Kelly's is closed. Yeah. And tell Sid stories. It would be. Uh, and when can that be, be done with the pandemic, too? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah. I don't know what they're going to end up trying to do here. There's probably nothing they can do. Poor Sid. He missed out on the 100th birthday celebration at Murray's when they were going to have people come in. He missed, he missed out on all that stuff. And now. Now he's not going to see the end of the pandemic so they could have, you know, the, the memorial service. And uh, so he's probably only going to have, he's going to have to, he had to settle at death here with only about 10, 12 celebrations of his life that we've done since he was, when was the first one? 75? 
the big one when Steinbrenner and all yeah. those guys came yeah, in. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that was 75. You know what else is an interesting psychological study? How the more controversial you were mm-hmm. on the national stage, mm-hmm. Martin, Steinbrenner, Knight, the better Sid took advantage of the fact that everybody else thought somebody was a jackass, right? Yeah. He took advantage of that to become their friends. And, uh, you know, it was, I mean, Knight would, you know, you know, those friendships that he developed with them were tactical. Oh, yeah. They were not, boy, I really think these guys are great guys. Now, he came to like them, obviously, but those friends, everything Sid did was tactical. Mm -hmm. There was a, what? What is, you know, Dark Star's great quote about what's the philosophy of your radio show? And he said, what can the next three hours do for me, Dark Star? Sid's strategy, when he first got hired selling newspapers in as a 10-year-old for 90 years is, what can the next 90 years do for me, Sid Hartman? He did you know. a hell of a job of it. Oh, he did. It I also fantastic. think the competitors liked Sid because he was so competitive. So yeah, like that's Garnett, true. Garnett and Moss and, and George and Knight, I think yeah. they respected the fact that he was basically yeah, wound so Yeah, yeah but, but he and Moss were tight in the sense that Moss would say, hey, big nose, how you doing today? He, right. he would insult them. Oh, and, absolutely. And, and, and Sid would... Take that as love. And that's the thing is Sid would come in, in that locker room, too, and hurl insults that no outsider would hurl. No, there's some that we can't repeat. He said uh, he said one that I, I once yeah. saw a, a young kicker at the time who didn't make the team almost start to cry. And that was from Sid. Yeah. Well, the worst ever was uh, was for the guy who knew the Bush, Bush sisters, and we won't oh. get into that one. But, but how he got away with that one, I have no idea. But I think some people actually did respect that because <laughs> because none of us were ever going to tread no, near that no, territory, and Sid no, could. No. And he knew he could. No, but he wanted <laughs> he wanted to be their friends, too, and I yes. don't think the rest of us gave it to him. Now, I became friendly with guys just you know, crew and guys like that, but right. uh, not not as a strategy, just as something that happened, you know. But he would, you know, there's no better way to tease him than to say, you know, boy, the crew and I really have a special relationship. Oh, we're driving yeah. crazy. Yeah. yeah, or mock, you know, mock. Yeah, God, man, that mock gives me good stuff, man. Uh, okay, I got to tell you, are we done here yet? By Almost. No, keep going. My favorite ever, and this is when I'm a punk kid, not writing columns yet, I don't think. When did Jerry Burns coach Iowa? So for Evashevsky leaves. So this is sixties, right? We're at Memorial Stadium. The Gophers, uh, Hayden Fry has just come in at Iowa. Okay, and or maybe it's his second year. And we're up in that rotten press box at Memorial Stadium, and I know that Sid's tight with Bernsey because I think Bernsey's was in Green Bay for a year. Mm-hmm. So this might've been Bernsey might've already been with the Vikings, but I know Sid's tight with Bernsey. And so in the Memorial stadium press box, there was no room to behind chairs, especially a fat guy like me, but you know, you had to climb over chairs to get into that first row down there. And I'm just doing a sidebar on some game. I never did cover the Gophers as a beat. I'm doing a sidebar, and I said to whoever was the beat guy, I said, you know, boy, that Hayden Fry is really doing a great job bringing back Iowa after Jerry Burns screwed up the program. I might not have said screwed up, but, you know, but I said it loud enough. Yep. And back then, Sid's had sharp hearing. Yep. And he came climbing over the steps. To MF me, which, of course, was the purpose yes. of having said that. You don't know, Jay Bird, blah, blah, blah. And he's screaming at me, and I'm going, high five. <laughs> he's climbing over chairs. No one it. no one was easier to get than Sid. Oh, God, no. No, because he was. Dennis Bracken made a career. Oh, God, Made yes. a career out of getting Sid. Well, the, uh, 
the uh, the the parking ramp, the parking thing was the best. Vic Vic from the garage sending Sid a note when we were remodeling the parking and yeah. across the street. And Bracken <laughs> said in the the ATEX you could send these messages, and if you if you put enough ding 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 ding, yeah, you tap I, down so yeah, they couldn't see what's see what's up. Yeah. But he had Vic from the garage, from the parking service, send Sid a note because he hadn't filed out paperwork for the new parking spots, that he'd lost his spot in the main yeah. main lot, but we could find him a spot over on Plymouth Avenue on, the, on that building, and the shuttle would run every half hour. And Sid came in, read it, ran out of his office, took a right, and was heading for Parkinson's office when Brackett had to run him down and stop him. He was going to, he was like, he had it printed out. Oh, he was going he to the was, publisher. To, yeah, he was going to the publisher to, to get his, because oh. his parking spot was like sideways in a crosswalk across from the building, you know. Yes. And we had a, the good part was, it won't be that bad, Said The shuttle will be running every <laughs> half hour. <laughs> That was the greatest of many wonderful pranks played on Sydney. Yes. Oh. But but the other thing is, Sid was one of those guys whose idea of a prank in return was to, uh, like, drop a bucket of water over your head. There was, there was no subtlety in no. Sid's, Sid's prank. No. Sid's return pranks came with a sledgehammer. Yes, know? yes. No. That's well put, though, because there was no— that, the man to his dying day was not going to be subtle about anything. No, no, that's true. You didn't no, even no. understand the concept no, of being subtle. The word subtle. is, uh, the word, he never wrote a subtle sentence in his life. <laughs> but I do love the fact that on the day he passed, he had a column. Yep. Because I didn't think that would happen, but now that it did, it's the most fitting thing. Oh, yeah, it is. And Easily uh, the most fitting thing. I have thing. to talk to Jeff and find out. But I know that they they wanted those Sunday columns of his, like, earlier in the week. Sure. Uh, so it probably did it on Thursday. And it was Adam Thielen saying the Vikings could still turn yes, this around right. on the day that they got beat by the, by time the Falcons. I, by the time, not only beat, beat bloody. Yes, by a beat, 0-5 team. An 0-5 team that uh, basically held them to one touchdown until when? The middle of the fourth quarter. Yeah, it didn't matter anymore yeah. by the time they got it. So, by the way. Yeah. On that point, Kirk ends up with a ninety passer rating. Yeah, because he great second half garbage time man. The GT, oh, the GT Hall of Fame put him in it. He's the master of the box score. It was sad that there wasn't a crowd in there yesterday. Oh, it would have been outstanding. Were there, if there did had they have been. any people? In yeah, there? like two hundred fifty or did something. Did they boo him? No, no, no. I think it was friends, friends and, family. and family. Yeah, they're not going to boo him. But it would have been it would if that building had had people. It would have been <laughs> marvelous to see them. They would have turned. I Kirk oh, at halftime would have been no. along with the rest of those guys booed right off the field. It would have been great. Ah, uh, you know, maybe they should have pursued a one game option. You know, that not a a. a, a $2 million backup quarterback instead of a $4.50 one. So, yeah, but they don't yeah. want to threaten Kirk. That's their problem. Well, that's, that's their fear is that they'll have a guy that would threaten his security. Well, he shouldn't be feeling too secure today. His quotes after the game were, uh, I agree. I'm going to get benched. All right, sir. All Great right. stuff. Thank you very much, All Patrick. Right. Talk to you. Yes. If you have questions about your retirement savings, do what I did and work with a person that knows what the heck is going on. Uh, work with Josh Arnold, Mr. Money Talk. My guy, Josh, will give you straight talk and not sugar-coated advice. Learn how you can benefit from Josh's focused approach by setting up your own no-cost, no-obligation, 48-minute consultation to review your investments. Call Josh now, 952-925-5608. Hi, this is Daniel Rue the Real GM Radio Podcast. And while the NBA season is still pretty new, there are some interesting storylines going on. And for me, one of them is, let's call it a shift in expectations, because there are a couple teams that we expected to be not necessarily pushing the accelerator in the early going in the season, maybe seeing Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson, this purportedly strong 2023 draft class, and going, hey, we could be a part of that. And that would be the Utah Jazz and the San Antonio Spurs. Both teams are over 500 with some nice wins. And this isn't fluke. They're playing well so far, and so we will see 
how they build on this, how they react to it. Do they keep pushing, see if see it can keep going, or do they change directions through trades and everything else? So that'll be something to watch in this year where the draft class is, is strong and these teams have incentives going in both directions. Hi, this is Daniel LaRue from the Real GM Radio Podcast. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, matchups, news, in-depth analysis, and live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. Can check in on your favorite games and events, including the baseball playoffs, start of the hockey season, MMA, boxing, and golf, plus sports podcasts. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more at BetOnline, where the game starts.